Welcome once again to J Root Radio Healthy Living. My name is Eliezer Gruber, a certified nutritionist with offices in Borough Park in Yerushalayim. I'm the developer of the Nutri-Supreme Research and Education Center located at 4315 14th Avenue in the heart of Borough Park. For our first-time listeners, my vision, my mission in developing the Nutri-Supreme Research and Education Center was to educate and to bring a very crystal clear awareness to the public as to the value, and do I mean value, of the benefits of how healthy lifestyle habits, such as optimal nutrition, an exercise program, proper sleeping habits, and stress management can have such a profound positive effect on one's physical and emotional well-being. These four pillars, again, optimal nutrition, a structured exercise program, proper sleep, and stress management are so critical, so critical and vital for having a healthy brain, which will be today's show, a healthy brain, a healthy, balanced immune system, a digestive system, hormonal balance, literally, and do I mean literally every, every part of our body, all of us. All of us desire vitality, to get up in the morning, to have the energy, the physical energy, the emotional energy, in order the vibrant health, again, both physical, physically and emotionally. Optimal health on every level. And do I mean every level is achieved by a favorable, favorable interactions between, I've spoken about in the past, genetics. We get from the mother and the father, our genetic, our genetic makeup, the predispositions that one has, and the interaction between this genetic makeup that we get from our parents and our environment. When a person feels so many people come to us at the Nutri-Supreme Research Center feeling run down, young people, young people run down, fatigue, foggy brain. In today's show, we're going to be speaking about dementia and Alzheimer's disease, but young people, not Alzheimer's and dementia, foggy brain. They can't concentrate. Young children, if we mentioned in our ADD, ADHD series, 20% of boys, boys more than girls, that's one in five have a diagnosis with ADHD. Again, a foggy brain, can't concentrate, anxiety, nervous, depressed, feeling something is just going wrong in our bodies. Most people go to their doctor, which they should, they should get a physical, they should get a workup, and, and, and see an examination with blood tests, markers, and make sure, Baruch Hashem, they're healthy and there's not anything going wrong. That's clear. I'm very much in working with the medical field. But there are literally, and there are literally hundreds and hundreds of useful blood tests, of disease markers, and I see over and over again from blood tests that I receive from doctor's offices, and sometimes I even recommend to add on certain blood tests to give me a more clear picture of what's happening with the person. However, using these laboratory markers, these blood tests, or any kind of other, any other kind of markers, using them does not in any means, form or fashion, tell me the whole story. So many people just do not feel well. There's no diagnosis. Their doctor sends them home. You're fine. All your tests came out, Baruch Hashem, normal. However, they just do not feel well. They are pushing themselves just to get through the day. Without addressing, 
one's dietary intake, what they are eating, how much they are sleeping, and their circulation. Are they exercising? And what about stress management? Without, without addressing these factors, then we're, we'll be defeated before we cannot rise above the problem. There's no question all these things, these four pillars are at the foundation of optimal health and wellness, both physically and, and mentally and emotionally. And again, I have such a healthy relationship. Nutrisupreme Research is now trying to go into a study, into a clinical study, which maybe we'll speak on the radio at a different time. And maybe some of your listeners might be able to come into this clinical study. But I have such a healthy relationship with the medical field. However, it's very sad, and it's not the fault of the physicians. They are not trained in the field of nutrition. And if you think about it, a doctor, an MD, whether he's an internist, whether he's a gastroenterologist, whether he's an endocrinologist, whether he's an oncologist, whether he's a rheumatologist, doesn't matter, a pediatrician, doesn't matter what field of medicine we're talking about. If you, a person is visiting one of these doctors, they should have a very clear knowledge of the field of nutrition. Because after all, the halik and neshama, our body houses our halik and neshama. The nesh- our bodies are formed from chemicals, are made out of chemicals. And without addressing the, un- the fundamental, the foundation of biochemistry, then how can we get a person on the right road, on the right direction, the right GPS to optimal health and wellness, physically or emotionally or both? It's clear as day. And, and it's just, it's partially in fault, the medical system, the schools, the training that they have, very, very limited amount of training, I believe usually in the fourth year of medical school, and by the time the medical students are ready, are ready to exit, you know what I mean? It's sort of like over, they've been overtaxed from their education, and it's, and the interest, it's not, it's not driven into them, the, the, the necessity of understanding clearly how these four pillars can affect one's physical and emotional health. Again, if we look at what we're going to speak about today, about aging, brain aging, how we can protect our brain, but there is an ongoing, clear, a direct communication between the gut, between our digestive system and the brain. In fact, the digestive system can be called really a second brain, What drives depression? What drives hormonal imbalances? What drives inflammation? The digestive system and the brain have such a network system, such an ongoing communication that can affect literally, and do I mean literally, every part of the body. What, you're going to ask the question, our listeners, what does the digestive system have to do with the brain? Again, as I mentioned, actually the digestive system can be called the second brain. Many of our listeners may be aware that inflammation is involved in almost every chronic disease, if not every chronic disease out there. Alzheimer's disease, which is going to be the topic of today's show, a two-part series, cardiovascular disease, Crohn's, colitis, arthritis, cancer. There's no question, and even depression, is the question inflammation has a role. We live in a generation, sorry to say, of stress. People under a lot of stresses today from different 
factors, whether it's a parnosa, whether it's a shalom bayis, whether it's chinuch banim, whatever the stress is coming from, and it's producing more and more anxiety. How many people are coming more to my office with panic attacks, with depression and mood disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder and psychiatric, one in five teenagers a day, according to the CDC, have a psychiatric problem that needs intervention. It's escalating. And what about diabetes type 2, which has a a direct effect on the brain, which we will speak about on today's show and next week's show with Alzheimer's disease. Again, the four pillars. These four pillars are needed. If we want to have a good profile of physical well-being and emotional well-being, we need to maximize and we need to set, reset our GPS system and, and, and address how all these things could help us both physically and emotionally. Why your children's behavior, it's not the topic of today's show, just a touch. Why is it, I'm hearing for so many people, they come to us and call us. We get somewhere around 100 to 150 phone calls a day. Why is it that so many children have problems today? So many teenagers are having problems today. And I mentioned in a previous show, I got a phone call from a seventh grade Rebbe. Out of 25 in his class, a seventh grade class, seven of those 25, there is issues. And those issues are, are, are causing or translating to low self-esteem. It's causing all kinds of their learning. It's having an effect on their learning. There's no question in these children or these teenagers. Chas v'sham, if they are not, if it's not addressed properly, then chas v'sham, we might lose them. And that's why one of the reasons why so many kids today, so many teenagers today, Rachmona, let's learn, are going off the derech. And the disruption, the disrupting, the, 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 the behavioral issues from temper, from anger, from moodiness, this aggressive behavior, the hitting, the bullying, these are good kids. They're really, really good kids. But we need to address not just going to a psychologist or a psychiatrist or, or, or addressing the issues from somebody else in the medical field. We need to address on proper health, healthy factors, health, lifestyle factors, healthy living. It's so crucial. It's so well established that nutritional factors are a major, major, of major importance in the pathogenesis of both heart disease and cancer. That's very, very clear in the medical research among scientists, among the medical field. It's clear. But there is less research in the relationship between the nutritional factors and mental illness. And I mentioned, as I mentioned before, according to Dr. Melvin Warbach, at a professor of medicine, I believe, of neurology and psychiatry at UCLA in California, nutrition can have such a powerful influence on cognition, on brain health, brain chemistry, emotions, and behavior. What do you expect? What should we expect from a diet of refined sugar, of chemicals in the environment, preservatives, food colors? Someone came into my office with his child, red number 40, he's explosive, his behavior is explosive. Pesticides, without a doubt, can have such a negative effect. Where are we getting? It's, again, overconsumption, malnutrition. 
missing the essential B vitamins, the minerals, the calcium and magnesium, the zinc, the chromium, the selenium, the essential fatty acids, the omega-3 fatty acids, the EPA and DHA. How can we produce? How can our bodies maintain itself properly, physically and emotionally, if there's such an imbalance or deficiencies? Again, it is such, I see over and over again, I see from blood tests, just looking at blood tests, I can sometimes pick up, you gravitate to carbohydrates. Your diet is mainly carbohydrates out of protein, fats, and carbohydrates. You're eating mostly carbohydrates, and I'm usually right. 98% I'm, I'm right. And I say to them, you are going in a such a pathway, a such a GPS model of not good health, of health that's going to chasavashom down the line cause major problems. Again, the, 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 the nutritional deficiencies and the imbalances can be at the root of almost every disease out there, if not every disease, especially in behavioral issues. Today, I, again, I, today's show will begin a two-part series on a subject matter that people be, have become very, very sensitive to as the age, healthy brain function. Again, healthy brain function. The fastest growing population in the United States is what they call the baby boomers. The baby boomer population, the healthcare in the United States, the services population is costing, the economy is costing healthcare today is at, at its seams. It is, it is so high, the, 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 the money that is spent. And just like the rest of the world, the United States is in an aging society. In fact, between year 2000 and 2050, the Mashiach Davkumen, way before, Bez Hashem, right away, the number of older people is projected to increase by 135%. Yes, 135%. Moreover, the population age 85 our precious seniors, our Choshava seniors, 85 and over, which is a group most likely to need health care and long-term care services, is projected to increase by 350%. The population over 65 years old will increase from 12.7%, which it was in 2000, to 20.3% in 2050. Again, Bez Hashem, the Rabbanishim, will send the Mashiach very, very soon. And we're not going to come to year that 2050. But as people get older, the most common change that they complain about, and not just older people, I have so many younger people. Mr. Gruber, I can't find my keys. I forgot where I put my keys. I forgot where I put this. I forgot where this. I feel my brain is like, I have such a foggy brain. Or I get a call from a woman in her 60s. The father is not in the world anymore and he had Alzheimer's disease. What can I do? I went to the doctor. I can't find things. My memory is not as good. Short-term, long-term memory. I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't want to see. I saw my father, Zichron Rorach. I saw him, what he went through. I don't want to go through that. So in older people, as again, in aging the most common change that we com people complain about is memory change. 
the degree of memory change, it's not like every 65, every year, 70-year-old person, every 80-year-old, 85-year-old person. It's not the same for everyone. We all have a different DNA we get from the mother and the father. We all have a different genetic makeup, individual, in the unique biochemistry. There's no question that everybody's systems, their immune system, digestive system, their brain chemistry is totally different from one to, from one to another person. As different as a face is one to another, a thousand times is a person's chemistry, biochemistry. And being that we all have this unique biochemistry, each person, to a certain degree, has to be addressed individually. Again, there is a concept of normal forgetfulness. We all experience normal. We forget. I can't recall that name. Oh, it's at the tip of my tongue. I can't remember his name or her name. What's wrong with me? Or I can't remember, where's that house? I was in that house five times, ten times. I can't, repl- I can't remember exactly which house that person lives in. Or I can't remember, I, saw th- I know I saw you before, but I can't remember where I saw you. I can't place you. Where did I see you? Like, Shalom Aleichem, but where did I see you? Where do we know each other from? Everybody experiences that. That can be normal for, for, normal for forgetfulness. Even And this is even at a young age. I told you before, I have people going out of my office, young people. Oh, I forgot where I parked. My, I'm, I'm between 43 and 44. Did I park on, I parked on a side street. I don't remember if I parked on 43, between 14th and 15th, or 44th, or 45th, or 40. I don't remember where I parked. So, I'm not saying, I mean, a person maybe, if a person doesn't get enough sleep, a person doesn't get to have a good circulation, you know what I mean? A person needs the life, the four pillars that I mentioned, even a young person, not with Alzheimer's, not with dementia, not with any kind of pathological problem. A person needs proper nutrition and proper circulation and exercise and sleep for, for, for proper brain function. It's a myth. It's a big, big, one big myth that forgetfulness is a sign that something is wrong with the brain. If we did not possess the capacity to forget, then each one of us would go crazy. The Rabboni Shalom put into us, into our chemistry, into our physiology, the capability, the ability to forget. It's very, very crucial. If, we, if we'd never forgot all the, the chas v'shom, the bad things that happen that we experience, if we didn't, know, if we didn't forget these things, or, or if we didn't, you know, or a loved one that was nifter, not that we forgot about the loved one, but if it's still as clear as like yesterday, how would we go through life? So there is a, there is a reason why there is a concept to forget. If we didn't discard... In other words, a person has to have the ability to be able to remember what is important and to discard the rest, which is not important. And this is really a true skill. A lot of person, you know, some people that come to me, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, or people that are just, you know, always are on their negative, always concentrating on the past, 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 and don't forget. So, but it's a skill again that should be treasured, that we have the ability to be able to forget what is not necessary for us to remember and the importance to remember what is important. Today, again, is part one of a two-part series. We'll discuss 
the aging brain. As I mentioned, the fastest growing population is the baby boomers. The aging brain, which is Rachmanus, a disease, the model, dementia. Dementia is an umbrella term, actually, for a group of cognitive disorders, which is the profile from dementia, the cognitive disorders, is usually a memory impairment, not just normal forgetfulness, a very difficult, marked difficulty in language, recognizing people, objects, a dis- actually a disturbance, a very disturbance, strong disturbance in the executive function of the brain. They lose ability to, uh, ability to organize, to organize things. They don't remember things, they can't organize things, process things. Very, very difficult. And if, uh, under this umbrella of different types of dementia, Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia. Although there is a mention, there are other, it's a, dementia is an umbrella term. There are other types that exist besides Alzheimer's disease, which is, Alzheimer's is actually, a, let's start with Alzheimer's, which really is the main focus of today and next week's show, is again a progressive disease of the brain. Anybody who has witnessed someone, a relative, a friend, has witnessed somebody with Alzheimer's, it's very devastating. It's very sad to see somebody who was in such high function, somebody who was so intelligent and was able to function so well, both physically and cognitively function so well, is now cannot function, is in either a nursing home or at home being taken care by family members. It's so sad. So Alzheimer's is the most common under this umbrella. And in the early stages of Alzheimer's disease or in dementia in general, people experience a memory loss, which progresses to such a marked memory loss and then it can also decrease, then we, there can be a decrease in their thinking, their ability to think, to make decisions. Decision making is so, it becomes so impaired. And later, as the disease progresses, they can't perform activities, they can't even dress themselves, simple daily activities when it becomes more severe. They can't even recognize. I've seen people with this problem with Alzheimer's disease, they don't recognize family members. They don't recognize brothers and sisters. And sometimes they can't even recognize their own wife or their own husband. The changes in the brain, it mirrors the decline in thinking, the development of, there's plaques, what they call amyloid beta plaques, and tangles in the brain that's causing destruction to brain cells. There are mood and personality disorders. You can have somebody who was such a balanced person emotionally, so balanced, and he could have, or she, such crying spells, like non-stopping crying spells for long periods of time. These people, men and women with Alzheimer's disease. Again, this amyloid beta plaque and these tangles in the brain, the changes 
that are associated with dementia, with Alzheimer's disease, affect so many parts. It starts with memory, but it, Rachmaner Latzlan, spreads throughout the brain. And these plaques, these plaques and tangles can lead to such a gradual loss of the connections, the synapses, the connections between brain cells and Shalom eventually cell death. As I mentioned before, there are other types besides dementias, besides Alzheimer's disease. There's second, I believe, second to Alzheimer's, vascular dementia. There's something called Lewy body dementia. There's something called frontotemporal dementia, as well as other types of dementia. In fact, we spoke vascular dementia is a very common cause of dementia and is a result of brain damage. Where does this brain damage come from? It comes from a vascular issue. It could be cardiovascular problems, such as strokes. It could be something like endocarditis. It could be, it's a vascular issue. Where you have another we've mentioned, this Lewy body dementia, is also, Rachmaninoff, a progressive form of dementia that involves the death of cells in the brain, the outer layer and part of the midbrain. And as I mentioned, the frontotemporal dementia associated with degeneration of nerve cells in the frontal or temporal lobes of the brain. And then there's rare, there's rare types of rare types of dementia that comes from hereditary, like Huntington's disease, that causes degeneration in the brain and the spinal cord, Rachmaninoff. There are also, besides these, which again we're just mentioning, it's not the focus of today. Other conditions that also can cause or mimic or can cause dementia-like symptoms, including reactions to medications, infections, poisoning. We're so surrounded by how do we put into our systems the foods that we eat? I think I mentioned in a, a while ago on a previous show, I was in the, I was in the UK and I was by a, 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 a kosher certification organization. And the head, one of the heads over here, one of the mashkichim went in for some type of confectionate sugar or some type of confectionate product and went into the, into the manufacturing plant. And the person that was there, that was making the ingredient, was wearing a mask. And the mashkich said, why are you wearing a mask? Maybe I should be wearing a mask. So the person making the ingredient in this, pro, in this product, for this product, said, yeah, one of this ingredient that I'm working with is a carcinogen. A carcinogen is a cancer-causing substance is poison. So it must be that it's at such low, low minute levels that the government allows. How many things are regulated in the United? How many chemicals? There's so many, over 80,000, so many chemicals have been introduced into the, into the environment. How well the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, how well are things regulated? Very, very, very poorly. And as I've mentioned in the past, Dr. Phil Landrigan from the Mount Sinai School of Medicine, head of the environmental department, went in front of Congress in 1996, Congress of the United States, and they passed a law regarding children. He's a pediatrician as well as being head of the environmental department at Mount Sinai School of Medicine. Children are not little adults, and what's all the pesticides, insecticides, and everything. And we've now spoken in the, in the, recently about the, problem, the problems with, with the rice. 
you have so many things in our environment that are very detriment, can be very detrimental, and it can affect our brain chemistry. Our brain is very, very vulnerable to, to exposure of things in our environment, which we were going to get into, if not today, next week, what we can do to protect ourselves and our family members against getting things like Alzheimer's disease. So you have also this poisoning of the body of the brain. In Rahman and Latzlan, you have brain tumors. And you have something called hypoxia, hypoxia, which is an inadequate oxygen to the brain. It could be in secondary insult. Somebody could be in a traffic accident where actually there's a lack of blood flow to the brain. I was in a medical center and I went around with several doctors, one of them being a scientist, to people that are on 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 all kinds of oxygen and all kinds of therapies in this medical center. And looking at these, some of these were in, in, in car accidents. So the secondary insult, some of them were on respirators. The secondary of the blood flow that was discussed among these several doctors when they, they did the round, and I was there, that could be causing such, such a, a trauma to the brain more than the accident itself. Now, some of these things, Baruch Hashem, some of these things, these latter things that I mentioned, could be reversible, Baruch Hashem, with proper treatment. Now, in year 2013, as, as there are estimated 5 million Americans aged 65 or older, I mentioned the fastest, the growing, fastest growing population in the U.S. is the baby boomers, our precious baby boomers. From age 65 and older, it was estimated 5 million Americans have Alzheimer's disease. And it is estimated, Rahman al-Atzlan, that in, it's going to triple as much as 13.8 million unless there, are, there is a more effective ways to prevent and treat the disease. And these ways to treat and prevent are implemented. Research has been going on and on. There is not near enough money spent by the United States government on research for, for preventing and treating Alzheimer's disease. And it's such a cause it's such a growing epidemic. We need to be get a clear education, underlying factors that can be leading, that can be, if not causing, can, can be contributing. It could be triggers for developing this type of disease. Alzheimer's disease, not like some of the dimensions that I mentioned, is an irreversible degeneration of the brain cells. Again, it causes disruption, such disruption in memory, cognition, personality, personality and other functions that chas v'shalom, it's so sad, that eventually can lead to death from complete brain failure. Every day, it's shreklich what's happening, on, what's happening today. Every 68 seconds in the United States and America, someone develops, develops Alzheimer's disease. By mid-century, again, the Mashiach Davkumen, way, way before, very, very soon, by mid-century, so, Someone in America will develop disease every three seconds. Worldwide, worldwide, about 44 million people 
are believed to be living with Alzheimer's disease or other dementias. And by 2030, if breakthroughs are not discovered, we will see such an increase to nearly 76 million people diagnosed with some form of dementia, which could exceed 135 million people. Again, the U.S. is not spending, they're not reacting to the need of this growing epidemic to respond to this alarming, alarming, growing epidemic. epidemic. And being that Alzheimer's disease is the sixth leading cause of death among American adults and the fifth leading cause of death for adults 65 and older, we want to be'ezer's Hashem. And that's going to be the purpose of especially next week's show. To be'ezer's Hashem to design a roadmap. A clear roadmap as to what we can do. What ishtadlis we can do to prevent disease from surfacing. So you might ask, how can it be? How can Eliezer Gruber come with next week and start saying, a roadmap. But if we, again, if we just look in the, the, the Rambam, even though in the time of the Rambam, this type of disease was not recognized, but when the Rambam says in Hilcha's day, it's almost every single disease, if not every disease, the, the foundation from disease is from wrong eating, overeating. And you're going to see from next week's show, the mechanism, I'm always looking for the fundamental, the mechanism of action Getting to the root of the problem, not Band-Aids, not Aricept. You can go to a doctor with Alzheimer's disease, Rachmanogant, and get a prescription for Aricept. But that's not getting to the root of the problem. Let's prevention, prevention, prevention. And if there is early onset Alzheimer's disease, what we can do recently. Very interesting. I got a call from someone whose mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And there is nutritional intervention. I'm in contact with this person on an ongoing basis. And all of a sudden, the mother started talking, which the mother hadn't been doing. Givaldic. Givaldic. So, you know, so prevention is the best. No, no question about it. No Shila. In early onset Alzheimer's disease, early, we want to get it. We want to catch before progression more and more. And even though Scientists, researchers, the medical field does not fully understand what causes Alzheimer's disease. But there is, and, and, and there's definitely, definitively, there is not one simple cause. There is no question about it. There are several factors that affect each person differently. I have mentioned so many times, whatever disease that I am speaking about, that each one of us has such a unique biochemistry, our brain cells, our digestive, our immune systems, such a unique biochemistry, biochemical individuality is so clear we need to address each person, but they're clullim also for in general, that, you know, these lifestyle factors, these four pillars. In addition to genetics, which is clear, there is a genetic, there's genetics that play a role in Alzheimer's disease. I know a person, another Goda was Nifter, 
the father, the uncles, the grandfather, whatever, had Alzheimer's disease, and the person, the Adam Gadol, was nifter. Recently, I saw an Adam Gadol, Rachmano, Latzlan. Because of recently, I just, I, and I'm seeing, and I'm hearing, it's, my passion is now to go on a campaign, the war, the fight against Alzheimer's disease and dementia. And, my, and it's not coming from just popping pills. It's not coming from just another supplement or another drug. It's coming from the basic four pillars of health and wellness that we need. And what can we implement? What we can do, I say toiv, to help prevent, even if there is a genetic predisposition, even if the parents or one of the parents or the grandparents or the uncles, there was Alzheimer's disease, that doesn't mean that the person is programmed now that he's that's going to go and want sometime later in life is going to develop the disease, as I mentioned in a, in a while ago regarding cancer. In my interview with a very well-known cancer center in the United States, one of the deputy chiefs of this cancer cancer center said to me, "Go and see the work of a geneticist regarding cancer, BRCA gene mutation. That even if there's a mutation, what the person is dead is the, is programmed." With early onset of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, if they modify, certainly he was, the, the, the research was in exercise, they can modify the gene expression. So let's carry it over to Alzheimer's disease. That means if there is Alzheimer's disease in the family, and I get calls from people, and I hear from people, that family members that have Rahman al-Latzlan or died from Alzheimer's disease. They're scared. They're nervous. There's a genetic predisposition. Genetics has a role in developing Alzheimer's disease. But that doesn't mean you're going to have less tr- work. Hishtadlis. Our hishtadlis, which the Rabbani Shalom wants us to do, to modify the expression of genes so we don't go into that particular down that roadmap down that road that we're gonna that, that we have the, or that one has a predisposition for there's no question about it scientists around the world are finding more and more evidence that some of the risk factors for heart disease and stroke such as high blood pressure high cholesterol Low levels of folate and I'm in homocysteine, homocysteine levels. I'm seeing more and more high homocysteine levels, homocysteine levels. And people with I mentioned regarding birth defects, what does birth defects have to do with Alzheimer's disease? The pathway of folate, of folic acid with a certain gene mutation can have an effect from both spectrums, from birth defects that we've spoken in the previous shows and as well as Alzheimer's disease. In fact, there's a pharmaceutical company that has on the market, in fact, I got a call from a woman who went to her doctor, a well-known doctor in the tri-state area, and the father was nifter, and the father had Alzheimer's disease, and she was worried, a woman in her 60s, worried about developing Alzheimer's disease, she gets a certain product that costs a lot of money. She called me up, Mr. Guru, maybe you can help me, maybe you can get it for me cheaper. So I know very clearly what's in that product, which we're going to get into in next week's show, what the, 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 the mechanism, the, the a mechanism of action, what is it doing in this particular product to maybe help prevent Alzheimer's disease? 
Homocysteine can be a biomarker, and 60, 40 to 60% of people have a genetic mutation to an MTHFR gene that homozygous that they don't, they don't, they don't metabolize folic acid well. And from birth defects, one spectrum, and miscarriages to all the way to the other spectrum to Alzheimer's disease. A common pathway. And what about diabetes type 2? How much is it escalating? Teenager was never in the history of the world. You have so many people. How many blood tests I see? How many people that have A1Cs that are going, and I always ask for three or four, the last three or four series of blood tests, where is your A1C? In 2010, it was 5.2. In 2011, it was 5.5. 2012, it was 5.7. 2013, it was 6.1. 2014, it's 6.3, 6.4. They're going in a roadmap of diabetes. And you have teenagers today. Rachmana Latzlan, Alzheimer's is the disease of over, I mean, younger people can get Alzheimer's disease, even in their 40s and even in their 30s. It's not, it's not common. But the younger generation, even teenagers that are being diagnosed with diabetes type 2, there are two types of diabetes, type 1 and type 2. But in, so type 1 is at a younger age, but type 2, how can it be? It was never in the history of the world. People in their teenage years with diabetes type 2. It's such an alarming epidemic. How can it be? What are we doing to ourselves? What does diabetes have to do with Alzheimer's disease? There's a strong correlation according to the CDC, according to Harvard, according to scientists and major medical centers around the world. The complications of diabetes can have an effect, can predispose a person, can double, if not more than double, the risk of Alzheimer's disease. We know very clearly that diabetes has, a re- has, a, has an effect, increases risk for coronary artery disease and cardiovascular disease, heart attack, stroke, nerve damage, neuropathy, kidney damage, eye damage. We know clearly osteoporosis and yes, 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 neurodegenerative disease like Alzheimer's disease. Again, it's at least twice more, twice likely people, to experience dementia when a person has long-term diabetes. Insulin resistance, which is at the core of diabetes type 2, and which even if that person doesn't develop diabetes type 2, you got 40% of the population out there, that even if they don't have diabetes type 2, they're insulin resistant. And insulin resistant can cause problems even before diabetes, even if they don't get diabetes. So if you have 35, 40% of the population that's insulin resistant, that can affect clearly. Besides cardiovascular, besides the heart, besides the kidneys, besides, besides the eyes, besides the nervous system, it can affect our brain to the effect where it can predispose or increase risk for Alzheimer's disease. What can we do? In fact, Alzheimer's disease is, is sometimes called, named by scientists and researchers, as yes, diabetes type 3. We know there's diabetes type 1, diabetes type 2. But there is also called now diabetes type 3, which could be Alzheimer's disease. There was a study published in the world-renowned, the famous New England Journal of Medicine, which shows that people without diabetes, we're speaking about diabetes, prediabetes, even without diabetes, 
which have above normal blood sugar level have an increased risk of developing dementia. That's very scary. How many blood tests do I see on an ongoing basis, more and more and more, even in young people, with elevated fasting glucose? Why is this fasting glucose? It should really be under 90. Okay, it says over 10 is already, that's the high, that's already out of the box. But even over 90, especially 100, over 100. So a lot of times doctors are not concerned if it's over 100. But that's not what, according to the New England Journal of Medicine, according to scientists and medical researchers in around the world, that elevated blood sugar before diabetes can have an effect, increased risk for developing a dementia. What can we do? And the, the, our younger people, our younger people, the young people, such dysregulated blood, blood sugar. Blood sugar control. I see on blood tests, you know, normal is, let's say, five, the A1C five, uh, up to 5.7. 5.7 five, seven, five, seven to 6.4 is increased risk for diabetes. 6.5 is a full-blown diabetic. But if you're 5.7, five, 5.8, five, 5.9, five, not a diabetic, but that means there is increased risk for diabetes. There's dysregulation of the blood sugar. Dysregulation of the blood sugar, and especially if there's a high fasting, there's high triglycerides, there's a low HDL, there's a metabolic syndrome over here. That, according to the New England Journal of Medicine, can predispose a person to increase risk for for Alzheimer's disease. It's scary. It's very, very scary. And recently seeing an Adam Godel, who was such a Torakula. You were Bavli, you were Shami, every poiskim, Shulchanarach, developing this disease and seeing the outcome after developing this disease. I now, Bez Hashem, the Rabban Hashem should give me, Siyatid Shmaya, the passion to develop a roadmap, a very clear mode roadmap with with communicating with the medical field, with scientists around the world, a roadmap to help prevent, and even if someone has early onset Alzheimer's disease, to be able to now implement a program that can help this problem. There is no question. Prevention, prevention, prevention. This is the key. This is where we want to get to. Next show, I know we've spoken about all the statistics and that we're coming off negative and the problems in this. I'm not giving you just problems. I want an awareness. And Be'ez Hashem, the second part of this series, we're going to go into what we can do and be proactive to help to prevent this problem. Are we going to wait around? The Nixon administration in the 70s were trying to war against cancer. Where, did, where has we gotten to? If, we, if we, we're going to look for a drug, we're going to look to the pharmaceutical giants, we're going to look to Pfizer, we're going to look to Lilly, we're going to look to all these, we're going to look to the, these pharmaceutical giants to d- develop a drug for Alzheimer's disease. No. You know where it starts? It starts in our kitchen. It starts with wearing the right pair of shoes to exercise. It starts with getting the right sleep and to be able to take care of our health. There's no question about it. Lifestyle intervention is the best prevention of Alzheimer's disease. I recently received an interesting phone call, not so recently, but not too long ago. Here, some, which is not your norm, 
I get my secretary says, Mr. Gruber, you got to pick up this telephone call. I pick up the phone and the person on the other end, this is Dr. So-and-so. I'm a professor of neurology at such and such a medical center, a well-known medical center in the United States. And I have been over the last quite a few years, I believe the last eight, 10 years, his expertise has been in Alzheimer's disease. And he actually called me up regarding the Nutri-Supreme's omega-3 fish oil that he highly recommends. And he said to me, and he's, he's both sides of the coin. He has protocols, your, your pharmaceutical protocols. But what attracted me to him as far as to, to develop a relationship is that he's both sides of the coin, not just the pharmaceutical protocol, the nutritional, the lifestyle intervention, the protocols, which we're going to get into next week. And he studied the role of omega-3 in Alzheimer's disease and many other things, which we're going to get into, other factors that can predispose a person, increased risk, either imbalances or deficiencies for Alzheimer's disease. But omega-3, how many of the brain is 60, 70% fat by dry weight? How many of us get enough of omega-3 and the imbalances of omega-3 and omega-6, which I've spoken about? What are we doing to our brains? Our brains can come, become rancid. You leave a piece of meat out. If you leave a piece of meat, it can become rancid, it becomes brown, and becomes... Do you think the brain's any different? We're going to get into the mechanism of action. Oxygen, our oxygen, our blood flow, what the metabolism in our brain, the activity, it's 24-7, what our brain cells go through. We need protection of our brain. Don't we want a good, healthy brain? We don't want to be one of those people. Later in life, to develop some type of dementia. There's no question about it. Prevention is the key, is the key to unlock the door as to, to reduce the incident of this deadly disease. I would like to take a break just for a couple minutes. Maybe we'll have time for two questions. The number to call in, if you would like to call in a question, is 718 683 5858. Again, 718 683 5858. If you want to text in a question, 347-927-8398. We'll be back just in a couple minutes. Yo in long, the 
Again, once again, healthy living. This is Eliezer Gruber. We have time for maybe two questions. One, we have a text. A uh, 44-year-old woman, have high blood pressure, 144 over 90. Exercise daily, relatively healthy. Don't eat tons of salt. Uh, sure, have more salt to cut down on. My diet, um, normal sodium, what is considered too high. It's really, uh, sodium is very individual. There are some people, it's not necessarily that sodium is driving high blood pressure. Uh, what I would like to say to you, um, there are a certain percentage of the population. I've mentioned in the past the DASH diet. Hypertension does have a, 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 for today's show, 
you know, long-term uncontrolled hypertension you don't want for long periods of time. As I mentioned, cardiovascular disease has an effect on brain health. So you want to get your blood pressure much better than it is right now. Um, again, the DASH diet has been studied by the medical field for, for years and literally decades. Uh, dietary um, interventions as far as stopping hypertension, alternatives to stopping hypertension. Uh, there are certain things. Magnesium is very good. If it's stress-related to hypertension, Nutrisupreme has a product called um, Nature's Calm. I usually use Nature's Calm together with omega-3 fish oil, together with coenzyme Q10. This is usually a protocol with diet as far as, um, as, far as hypertension is concerned. Very, you need to really... Uh, Work, be proactive in your diet as well as exercise. Exercise is great and that's needed. That's at the forefront, but you need. Um, the other question that we have, just one more question someone called on the show is that um, prevention. Again, next week we're going to get into um, uh, things that we can do, we can implement, execute as far as prevention of Alzheimer's disease. Again, the, we, the four pillars that we need to address very clearly is, is diet, exercise, stress management, and, um, and sleep and proper sleep. There's no question in uh, Alzheimer's disease. Uh, it's when I once heard from a professor at MD Anderson, which is a renowned can cancer center in Houston, when he had in his presentation, his power presentation, he had on the, on, the, on the screen, he had one of the things he had was Alzheimer's along with cancer, heart disease, diabetes, and arthritis, and Crohn's colitis, you know, quite a few fields of medicine. But the common thread that connects these diseases together is, um, is inflammation. And as I mentioned before, we live in an inflamed society due to our eating habits, due to our lack of our sedentary way of life, due to lack of exercise. We need to be very proactive in these areas. And again, even if there is a genetic predisposition to dementia, Alzheimer's disease, if we're proactive and, and implement and execute and, and, and put into our lifestyle habits, these four pillars, then we can modify even this genetic predisposition. So again, next week's show, Amit Hashem will go into a now a roadmap of in going, working with the medical field, with, um, with uh, I mentioned the professor of neurology, uh, one who's world-renowned, world-renowned as far as Alzheimer's disease, what we can do as far as prevention, and even in early onset, onset, onset Alzheimer's, what we can do as far as, as a protocol, maybe as treatment. Before we end the show, I'd like to give out the numbers. The Nutri-Supreme Research Education Center is located at 4315 14th Avenue in the heart of Borough Park. Our 800 number is 888-68-NUTRI. Our local number is 718-853-0644. Our website is www.nutrisupreme.com. My email, if you would like to email me a question or a subject matter that you would like to, uh, me to address on the radio show, I welcome these emails. egruber at nutrisupreme.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned next week for part two and have a wonderful Shabbos.